Um, before we get started, I, um, I was fortunate, I did get a visit, Pastor Matt, while he was in the hospital after his surgery. Um, I'd love to tell you all the wonderful things he said under anesthesia, but I was working at the time, um, so privacy laws prevent me from telling you all the fun things that he said. Um, but it was a good time, and he's doing better, he is getting better, um, but continue to pray for him. Um, his procedure was just, it was painful, and the recovery process is slow, so I know that he would appreciate your guys' prayers, and um, I'm going to pull my notes up here, and we will get started. I hope that you guys don't um, expect this to be, um, I don't know what you guys expect, but just so you guys know, I um, last weekend my wife and I went to visit our family in North Carolina, and I played a game with my 12-year-old niece um, to see who could name all the books of the Bible the fastest, and I wasn't the fastest, and I didn't get them in the right order. So if you're expecting a whole lot, I'm sorry. Um, I lost to a 12-year-old. Um, <laughs> but last week... Um, just to kind of give you guys a little bit of framework on where we are this week, um, the story that Eric read last week, the passage that he read, um, and what he spoke about, and what I'm speaking about, and then what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks, are part of a, a group of stories that kind of, um, they express how Jesus is Lord over different aspects of our lives, over different aspects of this earth. Um, and last week, Eric read a story about Jesus and the disciples getting on a boat and going across the Sea of Galilee, and the terrible storm came. And the disciples panicked, um, Jesus was asleep in the boat, and they went and woke him up. And um, he rather abruptly calmed the storm um, and went back to sleep. So Jesus clearly um, is Lord over our lives in that capacity. And today we're going to see that he's Lord over our lives in a different capacity, which is that um, he's Lord over um, the evil that's in this world. So ultimately, while there's good and evil, um, he has rule over that as well. And we're going to be reading in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Um, you know, it's, it's not going to take a lot to, to convince you guys that there's evil in this world tonight. Um, obviously, everybody who hasn't been living under a rock is aware of the circumstances that have happened in Oregon and Connecticut this week. And um, both of those instances are very tragic. And, and I hope that tonight isn't a soapbox. It's not my intention um, to get up here and tell you why those things happened, um, to try to explain that necessarily, to explain what measures might have prevented those from happening, or to try to necessarily find silver linings. But I think it's important to acknowledge that this is the world that we live in. These things are real, and they do happen. Um, and how do we relate that to the gospel? And so um, we will just start with, we'll read through uh, Matthew, Mark 5, 1 through 20. I don't have a Bible up here, so let me grab one. Thanks, long arms. Okay. Um, so they arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of New Boston. I can't read that word. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and had no longer caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, do not torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion. Because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. 
There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw a man who had been possessed by a legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, No, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how, how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he had told him. So when I found out that I was going to be teaching on this passage, um, I read it a handful of times, and, and I tried to figure out what does, um, what does Jesus deciding to baptize 2,000 pigs um, have to do with my life today? And um, I don't think in my life, um, and I don't think in anyone sitting out here, we've had too many encounters with folks who we actually believe are possessed with demonic possession. So um, initially, I really tried, I struggled to find a tangible relationship um, to this passage. And um, what I hope to do tonight, um, beyond convincing you that evil is real, lives in this world, and has some capacity to reign in this world, is, is to show you that, um, we talk about this all the time here, but the gospel is, is the only thing we need and the only thing sufficient um, to get us through times like we've experienced this week in our country and um, in our personal lives. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Connecticut school shooting and the mall shooting in Oregon. Um, and this is just, this is me, don't judge me. When stuff like this happens, I turn the television on, I watch the television continually, I read the stuff that comes on um, on the internet. Um, I, I, I'm just an information junkie, and it's not just stuff like this. I mean, I just consume information. And, and so this happens um, Friday morning, I'm at work, and um, it's, it's kind of the buzz around the office, it's the buzz as I go different places at work. Um, it gets brought up as in a meeting in the afternoon. What do we do if somebody comes into the hospital and we have a similar situation? I mean, it's all anybody's talking about. Um, so I get home, turn the TV on. Missy and I are sitting there. We're watching the TV. We're taking in all this information. Um, and it, one by one, people are starting to offer explanations for what could have prevented this tragedy. I listen, I listen to, the, and this is not a sermon about gun control or dealing with folks who have mental disease or getting prayer back into schools. I mean, I hear all these different explanations for if we would do this or if we would do that or if we would do such and such, then things like this could be prevented in our country. And I, after a certain period of time, I literally, like, am about to pull my hair out and I just want to say this country needs Jesus. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm getting, I mean, it's, it's to the point that it's, make, it's frustrating me. It's making me angry. And so it immediately flipped the light on for me when I'm thinking about what I want to talk about tonight. Um, and so I want to just, um, I want to go through the story that we just read about the demon-possessed man, and I want to start to unpack different verses and how it parallels the gospel and how not only is Jesus the answer for us in moments of tragedy like this, but Jesus is the answer for each and every one of us in our lives today. So um, verses 1 through 5, and, and I've just kind of subtitled these. Um, um, this is, to me, this is darkness rules the earth. And um, verse, I'll start with 5. Um, I'll start with verse 1 and just read a few verses here. So they arrived at the other side of the lake, and in the region 
of New Boston when Jesus climbed out of the boat and a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. The man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Wherever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And just like each and every one of us are a slave to sin at some point in time in our life, um, this man is a slave to this demon. The evil that is sin in this world is the evil that is possessing this human being, this guy right now. And so I, I immediately started to do a scriptural reference. And I just want to read some scriptures for you guys that talks about what is Satan's authority here on earth. Um, I think it's really important for us to understand what power Satan does and doesn't have. So um, 2, Corinthians 2, um, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Um, Ephesians 2.2. 2. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And then the last verse, John 12.31. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. So, say, I mean... I don't want anybody to miss the point that Satan has power on this earth, that evil has power to rule and reign in this earth. And without going back and unpacking, we all know the story of the Garden of Eden and, and, and what Satan's role was there. But I just don't want anybody to forget the fact that Satan, he's out there, he's real, and it's his goal to keep you from entering into a personal relationship with Jesus. And so those are just things I think we need to take into account as we read through this passage. So the next question I ask myself is, how are we, as, as individuals, like the demon-possessed man? Um, Romans 3.23 says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all are a slave to sin in our life, just like this man is controlled by the evil spirit. Um, Romans 5.21 says, we're, we're dead in sin. And this, this man, you know, I think the, the analogy here is, is pretty neat that this guy, the, the possession has so overtaken him that he's cast off to live amongst the dead, to live in a hillside that's carved out as a cemetery which they didn't bury people underground back in the times of the Bible. They used to carve places in the hillside and put the, people, the bodies in the hillside. This guy has nothing to offer society as, as a possessed person, so he's sent to live with the dead. Just like each and every one of us who don't know Jesus, functionally, we're dead. We're, we're dead to Christ. We're dead to this world. And ultimately, as you see through the passage, only Jesus can save him. So how does Satan, and so the next question, how does Satan control us through sin? And, and the easiest answer is that Satan convinces us to believe a lie. And it's not a big secret. Um, it's literally the oldest trick in the book. It's the same lie that he convinced Adam and Eve in the garden, which is that you, Adam, or you, Eve, need something else. You're incomplete. And, and you know, if we look at this world today, we can look at how each and every one of us, as we're a slave to sin, we're a slave to sin because of a selfish desire. We either have a desire to be successful, or we have a desire to be desired, or we have a desire to make people happy. And ultimately, the sin that we struggle with is born out of that selfish desire. And as we unpack this further, we'll see that Christ calls us to be selfless and not selfish. Um, in verse chapter 5, um, day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Um, if that's not a, a, just a perfect picture of being hopeless, I don't know what is. And, and that's what we look like as, in the eyes of God as someone who's an unbeliever. We're hopelessly wandering this earth with the, our only purpose is to please ourselves. And so, you know, believing in the lie that Satan tells us, and, I, you know, we touched this a minute ago, it manifests itself in all kinds of different ways. You know, we become a workaholic because we're a slave to the money to buy the things we want. 
Um, we become an adulterer because we desire that affection. We um, become slaves to addiction. You know, we all as sinners live in bondage to something. Um, maybe, you're, maybe you're in bondage to apathy. Maybe you just don't care enough to want to do something with your life. Um, but all of these are attempts on our own right to find happiness and fulfillment. And I think that we all here can understand that apart from Christ, we're not going to find that happiness and that, that fulfillment. Um, and just to kind of tie this, and um, this is not my attempt to explain what happened this week in Connecticut and Oregon, um, but ultimately the selfishness that we, we promote as a culture, this desire that I'm the most important thing in this world and whatever I need to do to make me happy is the most important thing, um, in the most tragic circumstances manifests itself as somebody who's gone to, to all these different avenues to find happiness and they're left empty. And, and what you have is somebody who, who does something tragic like taking the lives of innocent folks in our mind. And so um, I, I just think that the root of all of these struggles are the simple lie that Satan convinces us to believe, which is that we need to be selfish, that the most important thing in this world is us. And I think that as we continue to unpack the gospel, we'll see that that's not um, the life Christ has called us to. So maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, I understand that it's not just about me and I need to be a good person and I need to do certain things. And I know that Jesus, I, I know that Jesus is, is the Son of God and, and, and I have a knowledge of the truth of the gospel. Um, Verses 6 and 7, I I titled, Knowing is Not Enough. When Jesus was still a distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet him and bowed before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. So in this moment, the demon is speaking to Jesus through this man. Um, James chapter 2 says that... um, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. The fact that you have just a head knowledge, that, that intellectually you can grasp the concept that Jesus is God, is not enough to couple with good works to, to make you righteous. And that's, that's a crux of the gospel that we have to grasp, is that you know, it's, it's more than just understanding that this is the truth. It's allowing the Holy Spirit, inviting the Holy Spirit into your life to transform who you are. Um, you know, just a, a personal story. I, I grew up in church. My youth pastor's here tonight. Um, I didn't know I was going to tell this story in front of my youth pastor. Um, um, I grew up in church and, ha- and had a, a, fun, a, a pretty good grasp of, of the, the knowledge that you would have if you grew up in church and the truth of the Bible. Could spout off a lot of answers and could point you to texts in the, about different subjects and led Bible studies. Um, I'm not sure that I fully allowed the Holy Spirit into my heart to transform me until I was in my 20s. I'm not sure that it was a, a commitment that I made to transform my life in every aspect. And so, um, so for me, it, it's just, it's important for you guys to understand that accepting Jesus as your personal savior is more than just understanding that Jesus is the son of God, but it's allowing him to be ruler of your life, to be not only Lord of the other things in this world, but to be Lord of your life and surrendering that to him. Um, and ultimately that's possible because of what we read in verses eight through 13, um, I'm not going to read through the whole thing because it's, it's lengthy, but Jesus talks to the demon, he engages the demon, and ultimately he delivers the demon from the man who's possessed into a, a herd of pigs. And the pigs run themselves over a hillside into a body of water and kill themselves. I mean, if that's not, that's clear representation that Jesus has power over evil, and to tie that back to the gospel, that's exactly what Jesus did when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. He defeated the death and the darkness and the evil of this world. And... Um, That's all I have to say about that. I read too fast through my notes. I apologize. So 
So we understand the gospel. We understand that we're broken people. We're, there's, there's depravity. There's brokenness in this world. We have a need for a Savior. Um, we understand that knowing we have a need for a Savior and even acknowledging that there's a Savior there necessarily isn't enough to complete transformation in our heart. We have to invite the Holy Spirit to do that and be committed to that. Um, and we know that that's a possibility because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Um, but what is important is that, and Pastor Matt has talked about this time and time again, it doesn't end there. The gospel demands a response from us as believers. The gospel demands us to take that truth to other people. And if verses 18 to 20, the last two verses, last three verses here, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of the region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Um, it wasn't just that Jesus cast the demon out of a man. It wasn't just that he had this momentary authority over evil. But it's that Jesus commanded that person to go and tell everybody that they're about Jesus and about what his power is. And so that people would know the truth when they heard it. Um, and this is, goes back to Matthew. And just to tie this back to a scriptural reference for the gospel, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, so, um, to me, this passage, just, it's, it speaks to me in, in where we are today culturally. It speaks to me when we, when we see something on the television that we just, as horrific as what happened on Friday and what happened earlier in the week in, in a mall in Oregon, um, and we ask ourselves questions like, how can this happen in a world today? How can this happen where God rules and reigns um, and is sovereign. Um, it's just imperative for me to realize, and I think for you guys to realize too, that what we have, what, what some folks in this room have accepted Christ as their personal Savior, Satan still has rule and authority on this earth. And, there's st- and I'm not going to try to tackle the question on why God allows Satan to have that rule and authority, because um, I think that's a much bigger question for a different time. But the Bible is clear that, that through the different verses we reference that that authority has been given to Satan and he has it. And so when we see something like this and we talk and we, you know, I'm, I start to hear people engage in conversation. <laughs> Evil. Uh, Satan, was that ceiling or wall? <laughs> was it over? Where, where? Okay. Um, there were Caleb stands. Okay. <laughs> um, when we start to hear people engage in the conversation about what we can do to prevent these tragedies, the reality is these tragedies aren't always, they're not preventable in some circumstances. Um, the only way to prevent these tragedies is for Jesus to come back and, and for Jesus to kick Satan into hell forever. Um, and the Bible tells us that one day that's going to happen. I mean, so the hope that you can hold on to is that even though I can't see the full picture right now and no one in this room can see the full picture, that one day that the story is going to be complete. And Matt talks all the time about um, living between the trees. And in the Garden of Eden, there's this tree of life. And, in, and when Jesus comes back and, and his kingdom's on earth, there's this tree of life and Everything that happens in between the trees, we're not privileged to see from above to see what that means and how that fits into God's plan. But we know that that's going to happen. We know that Christ is going to fulfill that prophecy from the scripture, that he's going to come back, he's going to kick Satan into hell, and this isn't going to happen anymore. But until that happens, these things are going to happen. And what I feel like I need personally in this world needs is a group of people committed to the truth of the gospel. People willing to go out, just like the man who had the demon driven out of him by Jesus, and tell people the good works that Jesus has done in their life. I mean, Jesus picked 12 guys in the, Old, in the New Testament 
to change the whole world. We've got more than 12 people in this room. I think we can start with Portsmouth and do a pretty good job. So, <laughs> I, mean, I just think that the takeaway from this has got to be that we have to be willing to go. Like it's, it can't be sufficient enough that I, just, that I in a, having entered into a personal relationship with Jesus, know that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. It's, there ha- it commands a response. The response has to be to go and tell people and to show people and to buy gifts for kids whose parents can't afford it for whatever reason their circumstances so you can tangibly show them the love of Jesus. You know, any, any opportunity that we have to love someone like Christ would love us is an opportunity to live the gospel. And every time we live the gospel, we don't know what type of transformation the Holy Spirit might do in the heart of that person. And so it's just, you know, this is the... This is the reason that Revolution Church was started, was to find a group of people who, for whatever reason, wouldn't maybe feel comfortable going to church or hadn't been to church, and create an environment where we could talk about this, which is the gospel, and create an environment where we could encourage them through teaching and training and worship to feel equipped to go out and share the gospel. And so I just, this is just my, my prayer for you guys, and I'm literally begging you guys, be committed to this, if nothing else. That know the good work that Christ has done in your life and know the truth that he's going to reign again. And that Satan is, that evil is not going to reign on this world forever. And take that to folks, love folks, and share that with them. We'll pray, and then um, we'll have some worship for you guys. Thank you very much. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the opportunity. Um, to talk about the gospel, to teach about the gospel, something that a lot of us here are really passionate about and something that we think is absolutely the most important thing we could ever have the opportunity to share with somebody. And I just pray that as a small, committed group of people, that we're committed to your truth, that we're committed to loving people in this community in a way that is powerful, in a way that just encourages people to see the truth and your love, your grace and your mercy, and in a way that just we'll see change in this community and not because we love folks any differently than other folks but because the Holy Spirit will come here it will change this place and we just want to prepare the way for that it's in your name we pray Amen